Should I interest you in a stamp? Yeah, give me a stamp. Oh. No, give me a purple one. Oh, I'm sorry we haven't any purple ones. I could uh, paint one for you. I don't want a painted one. person hasn't got any rights in this country anymore. The government even tells you what color stamps you gotta buy. was a way for me to tell him to go away though. <laughs> well, he was threatening you pretty, that was a, that was a, I was expecting him to take a punch at you. I said, don't get into this. Yeah, he, that, that was definitely, that was physical violence right there. That was over the line. That's why I got the manager. I just yeah, said, I said, I said, because we were just about ready to leave anyway. Yeah, we were on our way out. <clears throat> Live from an irate diner Shouting at Jim Forty for being boring, this is the award-winning stamp show here today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. This is episode number 328. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Becca. This is Jim. And today we're discussing how we buy stamps. We have collectors and dealers here. We have advanced people and lower, uh, not as advanced people and everything. But it's a great discussion to have as to how do we calculate the value of things we purchase. And uh, this is something that everyone should do as an exercise for themselves. Uh, when you are selling stuff, you have to be very clear. When you're collecting stuff, you don't have to be so clear about it. But let's... Uh, get started and I'll go first. I'm a collector and I'm a dealer. And if you've heard my uh, Relics of History episodes, uh, you'll know that I collect uh, the 1850s stamps and other stuff. So when I see an item in that time period that goes into my collection or my exhibit, um, I pay basically as little as I can, but you know, you just have to pay a lot of money for stuff. You, I ended up paying, you know, very high percentages of catalog. So in, from that standpoint, you know, I am uh, paying probably top of the market to get the stuff, but for the stuff and I sell on eBay, for the stuff that I buy to sell on eBay, I have uh, what's called the Toyota strategy. And they talk about the Toyota Corolla. And a Toyota Corolla, if you took it apart and sold all the parts individually, you would get more money than the Toyota Corolla that it came from. I sort of look at that with collections. It's not difficult to sell stuff from collections, but people... It may not be looking for an entire set of trans Mississippi stamps. They may just be looking for one or two values. And so I always break stuff down to the smallest component possible. Number wise, I try, and again, I deal sort of at the bottom of the market. My average sale on uh, 
eBay, well, it dropped a little bit because I was blowing out a bunch of stuff, but it tends to be around the $11 mark. And so what I tend to do is I tend to buy collections and groups at about 15% of catalog, and I'm basically just going by catalog. You know, I double check to make sure that there's not a lot of faults and stuff like that, but basically I'm looking at the catalog values and I'm buying at 15% and then I'm selling based on catalog value at from 20 to 25%. And I do this because for me, speed is paramount. I want to sell the stuff as quick as possible. Uh, when all is said and done, I'm getting about a 20 to 25% return on my money, which is pretty good. Uh, and I'm having a hell of a lot of fun doing it, which is the most important part, you know, making 25% and having a lot of fun is a really nice hobby to have. So that's what I do. And Mark, you sell on eBay. What basically is your strategy and how do you price? Uh, well, it depends if, if I'm buying something to, uh, specifically sell or buying something that I might want to put a collection in. If it doesn't fit my collection, I'll sell. So if, if it's the latter where I might want to put it in my collection, I'll go to shows, I'll go to auctions and so forth. But uh, I'm in a position where my collection is so advanced that to get something that I don't have would cost a lot of money. And you basically would, you know, if you find something, you know, you can afford to buy that one thing and then, uh, you know, and then that's basically it. And then the fun is over for, you know, the rest of the time that you're at the show or you're at the auction, that kind of thing. But uh, but another thing that I do uh, is to, to, you know, keep the excitement alive is um, I'll look to improve uh, something that I already have in my collection. Uh, like, for example, I might um, I might have Scott number 563, the, the 11 cent um, uh, blue uh, Harrison, I think it is. Um, but it comes in a, in a variety of different different shades and, and, and uh, tones. And uh, so, you know, I might uh, occupy myself by, you know, in a stamp uh, show by going around to the different dealers and seeing what they have in their stock of, of that particular stamp to see if I can find maybe a shade that I don't have or maybe a shade that I might have, but uh, it's, it's, you know, a better condition than the, than the one that I have. So, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to keep yourself occupied at, at, at shows to... Uh, and and still have the thrill of the hunt without it, um, you know, without, you know, being in a position where, you know, the only thing you can do is buy one stamp and, and then you've, you know, you've you spent your entire, um, you know, your entire budget. Been there, done that. Yeah. But uh, but when I'm, when I'm buying stuff strictly to sell, I typically buy at auction. Um, I used to uh, like to go to the Hammer Shaw auction where he had a lot of box lots. And those are always fun because you can, uh, you know, you can find you know gems and treasures. But the, I don't, now that uh, um, now that uh, auction has gone away, um, there's very few auctions that actually have box lots. But there, there's auctions that have collections and so forth. So um, it's a um, it's also an exciting uh, uh, you know venue to be at because auctions are intimidating. You know, and there's an excitement in in bidding and buying. Um, but you can also get the same kind of excitement in smaller auctions, like in Hipstamp. Uh, every Thursday they have an auction where they, uh, where it's a one-week-long auction. They start everything at one cent, and um, and you can get the same kind of thrill, you know, bidding on a stamp, you know, that's uh, you know six dollars and fifty cents, you know, and and bid in the last second, you know, to to get it at six dollars and fifty-five cents, 
you know, and it uh, and it provides the same kind of uh, the same kind of um, fun. So, what do you price at on uh, eBay? I know that you said that before, but you are at a much higher percentage than I am, also. Right? Yeah, because I'm I'm buying uh, uh, with an eye for quality, so I'm I'm definitely looking for quality stamps. Um, uh, if I uh, if I buy something that uh, that is a nice quality stamp and and it um, and it and it, it fits in my collection, I'll I'll keep it. But if it uh, if the one in my collection is a little bit better, then I'll then I'll sell the one I have. But um, you know, but for a high quality stamp, you know, you, you demand a, a good price for it. Sure. What percentage generally do you charge? Uh, I would say for a, a a very fine stamp that might um, that might be like a, a grade like an eighty. Uh, I'll I'll price it very close to catalog value, maybe uh, um, you know ninety percent, you know that kind of thing, and uh, you know really nice stamps are kind of easy to sell, uh, you know because there's a certain percentage of people that are looking you know for the same kind of thing, um, you know to to even improve or, or or create a nice collection for themselves, so uh, so yeah that's uh, but for stamps that are off center, you know like a, just a fine. I might price it at forty uh, percent of, of catalog, and then every thirty days or so, I'll go through my uh, my whole eBay, um, and uh, and start dropping the price. If it doesn't sell at forty percent, I'll I'll kick it down a little bit. So, Jim, you're a yes. very specialized collector, and you buy some very esoteric items. Um, are you sort of in the same boat as me where you have to just pay whatever or how do you value what you buy? Well, I was thinking about this when you were talking about going to auctions and when we, um, when I went to shows before COVID, I would go in with a certain amount of budget, but I would be looking for my collection. And that took about 20 minutes to go to everybody and find out they didn't have anything I needed. <laughs> and then I would spend hours and maybe two or three days, depending on how long the show ran, going through uh, dollar boxes and lots. And as a cover collector, see, I'm looking for that bargain, just like you do with the stamps and when you're looking at a collection. And so um, every once in a while, there will be something at the show that's just so pretty and so enticing, I buy it too. Then what I would do is take the uh, lot that I bought, I would end up with a bunch of covers, and I will put them up on eBay. And generally, my range on eBay is the 5 to $10 range. So covers you're buying for a dollar, you're picking out the good stuff and then putting up it up for five or ten dollars yeah and generally um i get about 40 percent sales on that if i re if i rerun the you know you have that um option on ebay where you can relist it for two or three times and so if i keep it up longer i tend to sell them more of them the second time around they'll sell so it's it's an idea of, of you know, it, not everybody is on the Internet at the same time, and so they don't see it the first week or so. But that's, that's my general philosophy of uh, buying to sell. Buying for the collection is kind of like buying for your uh, exhibit. 
it's my collection is to a point where the th the kinds of things I need are in auction. Basically. Yeah, for me they're not in auction. They're just thrill of the hunt sort of thing. Like, I found a folded letter that had a very very nice discussion as to why the person was voting for Fremont. Oh. And, you know, it was priced at, it was a number 11 on cover, and I think it was $15. Which, you know, is probably kind of overpriced for a mm -hmm. folded letter with a number 11 on it. But with that discussion in it, all of a sudden it became an invalid, you know, an incalculably valuable item to me. Yeah. And so for 15 bucks, it was like, that's mine. I'm yeah. taking it. And that's the kind of thing you, when you said esoteric, that's the kind of thing that I buy. Is I look for something that's really interesting, has an interesting story, and we've discussed some of those things before. But yeah, anytime you can find something that either the contents are interesting or the usage is interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. You brought up uh, dollar boxes and. I go to the Arcadia show, and Becca, you go to the Arcadia show too, but I've never seen you go through the dollar boxes. I always bring my cell phone with me, and I'll find company corner cards, and then I'll Google them to see if they're famous or something. Mm -hmm. And I have found several things that have to do, a lot of prohibition, that's what I really look for. you know. But up in the corner, it won't be like the anti-saloon league. It'll be the ISL. And so you got to figure out, ISL, what the hell is ISL? Or excuse me, ASL. Oh, anti-saloon league. That's prohibition. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can find just by Googling it. And I love the dollar boxes. Joel Weinstein, shout out to you. Yep. Love dollar boxes. Becca, you buy uh, mostly topicals, but other stuff. For the topicals, I look for things that... I look usually in the red boxes, and I usually set a price limit for myself and just look for topicals that fall within that price limit. Um, usually I set it at about $5. If I see something that I really, really like and it's more expensive than that, I have been known to break my rule for that. Um, I also love historical letters, uh, anything with real historical providence to it. Um, just because history is kind of my thing. Um, and there, I've definitely been known to step into the $10, $15 range. And it sounds like I'm going to have to start checking out the dollar boxes at Arcadia. <laughs> oh, yeah. You def definitely should. Well, when you're looking at topicals, is there a, is it, is it like a, a lot of uh, stamp people like Jim would have a, a true advantage by getting into a show early? Um, in order to, you know, talk to the dealers, you know, ahead of time to see if he could find stuff. Do you, is it the same kind of thing with topicals where if you have the chance of getting an early or, or an early look, that would that be an advantage for you? I would consider it to be one since other people wouldn't have gone through it yet and I'll be able to pull the topicals a little sooner. So there's some topics that are more popular than others? That I would say so. I mean, Disney tends to be a big topic and that's one thing that I collect. Um Recently, I've heard that some people collect Olympics a little bit more than other topics, and I've been and I've been collecting Olympics since the beginning. So, the beginning, eighteen ninety four. 
1894, since the beginning of my collecting, which has been going on for about three years now. Oh, okay. And Albert, you have a very unique type of, uh, let's say you have different access. How do you buy and how do you determine pricing and what research do you do? Um, I represent clients at auctions, which means that sometimes I travel from Las Vegas to San Francisco or New York or occasionally even Chicago to look at something, to bid on something for somebody, which I get paid a small percentage of the hammer price. Um, I also I also like to attend stamp shows because there's a lot of new material to look at. Um, a lot of what everybody else is saying is what I do. I mean, I'm looking for, I'm looking for single single items that I think can that that are um, that I can make money at. Um, but I'm also looking for things that I personally collect, which is uh, among other things I collect the uh, stamps and postal history of the island of Guam. And uh, um, I've probably lost more in theft than I than I own right now, but I still own a couple of really great things that I've bought over the years. So, uh, for instance, we just had the uh, Siegel just had the Eubank sale of 1851 uh, to 1850, basically 1851 to 55 issues. I so, did in that. So I I attended the sale, and. Uh, Bought a couple things. Wish I had bought more things, but it was a very tough sale to buy in. Oh. But it, but I was happy to go look at the material because many of the covers, like the front cover, the uh, strip of uh, five and two five A's, the Newbury cover, I had last seen that in the early '90s when it was in the Philatelic Foundation, and to see it again and to see how see how beautiful it is and to see the condition of it, that was uh, that was a real pleasure, and it was a. Uh, and you're talking about a gold medal collection that won in 2016 at the last U.S. International. And so I got to look at a lot of things, and, and I was very happy that I went to, went to see that material. Um, I like to, go, I like to uh, attend a lot of auctions because I, I let my eye run, and sometimes I can find something here and there that it's not recognized for value. Uh, but that's as much a, a matter of... I'll run into something if I put a lot of time into it. Sometimes I find something, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm not right. I've, I've purchased things that turned out to be nothing, and I might lose 500 or or $1,000 on it. And then on the other hand, I've bought things that, that are very valuable, and, I just, and it's just they weren't recognized. So how you, you said, like, you know, you buy some things. You, obviously, everything is hit and miss. Right. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You probably win a whole lot more than you lose. That's typical for stamp people. Um, what percentages are you looking at? What margins are you looking at? Well, on the, on the items that are $1,000 or more, I'm trying to make about 20 or 25% on it. On Over average. what period of time? 
usually about a year, sometimes two years. The problem about the problem about the stuff that you buy that's really expensive. It's normally an auction, so everybody's seen it. So you have to you you have to age that stuff now. It used to be you could you used to be everybody wasn't on the web and everything, and you could age it about six months and put it up and it might sell again. I think now, having been back since the middle of 19, I think now you have to age something for between two and three years minimum before it comes back out. People just think that, oh, it, it brought, I, I bought something in the gross sale that the uh, auctioneer completely misdescribed and miscatalogued and put a very low price on it. The last time I saw it sell was in 1997 at the rarity, Siegel Rarity Sale. It brought $42,500. So... I put a bid on the book at the opening, and that's all it sold for. And the auctioneer said, oh, well, that's the one gift you're going to get for the sale. But the problem <laughs> is, is that the catalog dropped from $42,500 to $10,000 because of that. And I have to discuss with the catalog people. I said, you don't understand the details of why, why it brought so little money. It was, just, it, was lost in, it was lost in a field of very, very expensive things and not recognized. That is one of the problems that we see with very rare items selling. And uh, with graded stamps, this is a story that goes way back. You know, we do the SMQ, and uh, we track the prices that things sell for. So there was a stamp that sold for, I believe it was about $5,000. And it came to auction, and nobody bid on it. And the guy got it for $2,000, and he goes, man, this thing's worth $5,000. I'm going to make $3,000 on it. And this is when Bill Lytle was running uh, the SMQ, uh, our rest in peace. He's, uh, he's departed a long time ago. Um, but he said, okay, well, it sold for $2,000, so now we're going to put it in the SMQ at $2,000. And the person said, no, 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 no. It's worth five. I just happened to buy it for two. And so now instead of looking at like a $3,000 profit because it's worth five, the catalog now listed at $2,000 and he paid full market for it. And that is something that you see not often but frequently with very rare items that transact rarely. And it can uh, be rather upsetting when all of a sudden you cause the price to drop because you made a really good deal. I'll tell you something that I that I own that uh, um, I bought from in the Twig Smith sale in 2007, and that's the imperfect pair of the six cent uh, um, uh, Hawaii banknote from 1871. It, there was one sheet found in Honokaa in by Postmaster General Arthur Brickwood, and um, um, the, the, it was not described correctly in the advertiser sale. It came back with small faults and that were not described. So I gave it back to the house, and when I bought it back, it brought half of what it did. But it lists in the catalog now at that price, and I said, it's unique, man. And, <laughs> frankly, and frankly, those kind of things that are unique deserve a line in the catalog because it's only it's basically worth what what somebody who really needs it knows what it's worth. I still think it's I still when I bought it originally for forty six or forty seven hundred dollars and also invested another hundred and hundred and or two hundred dollars for the certificate cost, the reason I gave it back as a return was it wasn't as described. And 
Um, so when they put it back in 2007, I bought it. I bought it for half of that. Well, that's what it catalogs now. Yeah. Well, I don't really care. I put a price on it that I think it's worth. And I've, there are very few things that you get to own in Hawaii that are actually unique. There have been a number of used singles that have big margins that have been called from that sheet, but they're not because sometimes on the early Hawaiian banknote issues, you get you get very wide margins, either the top, bottom, left, or right. Um, and so it's possible to get it's possible to find these copies on cover, and you can trim them and look like they have big margins, but they're not the they're not the same item. So um, yeah, we see that quite often also with the coils. Somebody will trim a stamp on. There was a two cent. Uh, I forget the number three twenty two, and uh, they had trim. It was a straight edge, and they trimmed off the other perfs to make it look like a coil and go, hey, it's on cover. It's like, yeah, well, you still trimmed the purse. <laughs> you just did a nice job. Well, sometimes that, that's expertising is an art, and it's we're not, you know, that's why all most most every expertising group says that, it's, that what they give is an opinion. Um, to say for sure that it's something, it's based on the knowledgeable, what, what the experts say it is, but... Um, uh, from time to time, um, later on, we get proof that something that we called good is fake or vice versa. Yep. So that's why it's it's only an opinion. That's why I say to everybody who collects, become your own best expert. I said you'll you'll have a much better time at it. You'll know more than most average dealers, and you'll be able to take advantage of it. Yeah. Just to uh, put a point on that, though, I would say that. The odds of calling something good that's bad is it happens. But more often what I see is calling something bad, which is good. And that's something where um, you can know more than the experts or the experts saw something that they just didn't like that you can take out of the equation. And so there are a lot of these like in between things where if you you can know more than the experts. In Hawaii, it's awful tough because you know Albert and Fred Gregory, who I know isn't a listener, um, you know the two of them know everything. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, but just because we know everything doesn't mean that those expert committees necessarily show us everything. That's true. Yeah, you know we've we've had uh, we've had items we've had items here at at PSC that I should have looked at but didn't, and so they got out and they turned out to be not as described. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happened. What last month? There was January. Yeah. Or, oh, okay. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a mistake. So anything else? Any other? Because uh, what I really. Um, well, what, what, to talk about what an agent does, an agent, not, not, a good agent doesn't just execute bids. A good agent actually is, is somebody who, who um, when you ask a question, will do his best to find out about it, even if it's in an area that he doesn't know, he or she doesn't know. So you go and talk to the people. So, for instance, somebody asked me about a stamp that will be sold next month, and I went and asked uh, somebody about what he thought about the item. And so that was uh, that's one thing. And uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes 
your, your customer has a certain price you want to pay. And so the, it's an art to be to actually put that bid in at that right price. Sometimes there are lots of different methods you have to use. Well, another thing about you being the agent, and I've seen this many, many times, is a person will put in a bid and you'll say, no, this is, you're, you're bidding a crazy bid. This is what it's sold for here. This is what it's sold for here. Um, and so basically they are getting your knowledge. That's what you're paying for. You're not just paying for a person. You're not just paying for a stick figure to hold up a number at an auction. Well, at the Eubank sale, I, I, there were at least two dozen items that I researched where their, where their prominence was. And I actually pulled the catalogs. So a lot of the, the, the famous cover with the picture, the uh, one cent and the three cent that were made into a, a cartoon on cover. Um, with uh, a cart, a cart basically being, a yeah. draw, drawing, hand-drawn cover, an illustrated cover. Um, it was last sold in the Vogel sale in 2012, and before that was sold in the 90s at the Kapilov sale. So I went and I went and went and took a look at that. Um, there was there was a great cover in the sale that had a uh, a five and seven A pair on a cover going to Switzerland. Well, in the Vogel sale, it brought $62,500, but at the sale a couple weeks ago, it only brought $32,500 because it's just it's a different market. Yep. It was a great cover. I loved the cover, but I just couldn't, I couldn't interest any, I couldn't interest my client. He just thought it was still too much. I'd like to add something to what you're talking about there, and that's the education part of it. Um, Albert has an extensive collection of old catalogs, which have a lot of these items in them. So he is able to pull that information out. I'm not dealing in the same level, but what I do is I read everything I can about uh, postal history. And, you know, that way you educate yourself on what people are collecting, what they like, what they don't like, what's, what to look for. So when I go through the dollar boxes, I have a better idea of what I'm looking at than the average person who does go through that box. And that works for you, I'm sure, Becca, on the topicals. I was, well, was going to say that sounds like something that I want to do as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you're, if you're going to buy it to resell it, it helps to know if there's a buyer. And I actually happen to know the economics on some of the dollar box dealers. And they're paying between a nickel and a dime per cover. Right. And they sell them for a dollar. But they sell a small percentage of what they have. They may sell 10% of their covers. And then they dump the rest off to the next fellow. Mm -hmm. However do the math 10% if you're paying a nickel a cover that means you're doubling your money and the turnaround time on dollar dollar covers is incredibly fast you know you can ha you can put out 2000 covers and sell 200 of them at one show i mean the the turnaround for the money is very very good the hitch is, is that you have to be able to get the material and getting the material is the tough part yeah, and that, that's what Mark was talking about with the box loans. Yep. Is that, that's where you find that type of material is in auctions and box lots because there's a lot of stuff in there, 
and people don't have time to go through everything, and so they're going to be bidding on specific items that they see in there. Oh, they basically bid as if it's kilowatt. Yes. You know, yeah. a banker box must have about 600 covers in it, therefore it is worth 30 bucks. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And, and so you maybe you see two or three items that you can put a value on and so in the box lot, and so that's what you base your bid on. That's why they get them for five cents a piece. Yep. Yeah. We're out of here. Adios. Let's hope this irate guy doesn't uh, yell at Jim Forty anymore. <laughs> I don't think he We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkcom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> you have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Collecting happens when we dream together.